Well, good morning, church. If, uh, as I as I pray, just referencing things, um, if you're unsure about Tuesday and issue one, we do have some papers out on the table. We want you to know as a church where we stand and showing love and grace uh, to many that are going through challenging times. But we want you to know uh, where we stand and, and maybe how you can vote. Uh, so that is out on the table. If you have any questions, please ask me about that. Um, I do want to also say something else. On behalf of uh, the staff and our spouses, we just want to say thank you. Uh, your gift to us last week your, uh, was in- incredible, and we have hearts of gratitude that look at you and say thank you. Um, you are a special group of people, and it is a privilege to shepherd and pastor you. Uh, I, I know this. You know this. I'm not perfect. Uh, I will mess up. And so thank you for loving us uh, in spite of our errors. Um, and it is a privilege to love you as well. Um, what we enjoyed most, and I will say this, what we, we truly enjoyed most and was more valuable to us than anything besides the gift you gave us was the time you prayed with us last week. To put hands on us, to pray from us, whether you were standing or, or closer, uh, the hugs, the smiles, that means more than anything. So thank you for that. I, I remember my first year in ministry. I was just fresh out of college, moved here a long time ago, uh, 1989. I'll never forget it. And I just heard somebody whistle over here. And um, I remember a few months into ministry as a youth pastor, calling home to my mom and dad saying, I'm ready to quit and come home. Um, Pastoring, leading is not easy. Um, But my parents reminded me that. They said, it's not easy. But this is what you've been called to do. And I consider it a privilege to be called by my Savior to become uh, a pastor here in this community and to be with all of you. So thank you again for your prayers and your support. We truly do as staff and as a pastor say we appreciate you as well. Um, Grab your Bibles. Open them up to the book of Luke chapter 10. We will eventually be there. Um, We are in the series of Rooted. Whether you're going through the book on a daily basis or whether you're hearing those Sunday sermons, uh, this this week uh, we've been talking about serving. I told Jenny, I said, man, I don't know about you, but the last couple weeks have been incredibly challenging. I mean, all kinds of things. I I alluded to it in my email to everybody this week. I said, listen, I... I see God at work every day. I'm incredibly blessed. But at the same time, I feel like the spiritual warfare has been amped up. I mean, I, I feel like my spiritual opponent, the devil, he is creating more chaotic moments than I've ever seen before, unsettling situations. And, and if you're like, is he talking about my conversation this past week? I might be talking about your conversation and the two other dozen conversations I've had this week, okay? So there's been a lot that's been going on over the last couple of weeks, whether it's uh, sickness or injury or whatever it might be relationally. Um, I, I, think, I was thinking about this like, and again, I asked you this question in my email. Has anybody had problems in the last couple of weeks? Like, I don't know, reading in their Bible, getting up a little bit earlier for their quiet time? Maybe being distracted during your prayer time. Uh, maybe even coming to church on Sunday has been a little bit more of a chore than it normally has been. Maybe you had some unsettling situations on the way here or an accident or you spilled something at home or something went crazy at home before you left. And it's, it's like, why has it been so difficult the last couple of weeks 
to pursue God. So I will remind you what Paul told us, that we're supposed to put on the spiritual armor of God for our battle, our war. We, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces. That's what he tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. We're in a spiritual battle. We're trying to pursue this righteous life of following God. And in the pursuit, there will be an attack. There will be an enemy. We're loving God. We're, we're serving and loving others. So don't be surprised if you have problems doing that. It's a spiritual battle. Expect pain, casualties, strained relationships, fractured emotions, right? Because in every war, there are casualties. Praise God, probably the majority of us in here have never had to experience that. You've never had to go off to war. I know some of you have served. But for others of us, it's like, we have no clue what it feels like to live in the Middle East. We have no clue what it means. Like I'm sitting there yesterday, sitting on the couch, watching a football game, enjoying a few moments of let's watch football, thinking, and it came across my mind, that on the other side of this world, somebody, there's, there's, a, there's a, a bell going off, there's an alarm going off, and they're fighting to get to a bomb shelter, knowing that they may come back to their home or their apartment and find just rubble or find a loved one dismembered. And it's like, I don't have to worry about that here. And I'm very blessed that I don't have to worry about that, nor you. But spiritually speaking, we're in a battle. So there will be injuries. Our opponent, listen, our opponent is nasty. It's the devil, okay? Our, I remember Jenny and I were at this marriage retreat, and uh, the, the guy up front said, hey, look at your spouse right now and repeat after me. So I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me and goes, you're not the enemy. And <laughs> we sort of chuckle. You're not the enemy, all right? And it seems sort of goofy, but we need to remind each other of that. My spouse is not my enemy. My kids are not my enemy. Your kids are not the enemy. Your, your teachers, uh, your coaches, your waitress, truck driver, clerk at the store, a volunteer at church, a pastor, we're not the enemy. Our opponent, our enemy is Satan. And as Christians, we also need to remember this, though. We are empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Because he is victorious, we are victorious. And we are able in the midst of, of the spiritual warfare that goes on in our life to be able to say, that hurt, but God is still good. And he will help me be victorious in this moment. So church, I want to encourage you in the midst of all this, do not give up. Keep praying. Stay alert. We all know what it means to be alert right now, right? This is the fall in Northwest Ohio, and you might be driving down the road, and you need to be alert because you never know when those deer are going to be shooting across the road, right? Have you ever thought about that? I was reading something the other day and just sort of reminded me of this. It's like, why are those deer running? I mean, it's, not, it's like they're like, hey, you want to go, I'll race you. Oh, I'll race you. And they go running. Or it's like, hey, we got to get in shape. Santa's looking for the deer, so we got to be ready to go, right? Why are these deer running? Probably because there's a predator or, in this case, in this area, a hunter, right? So they're running for their life. And, and so I was thinking about this. These calm animals are now frantic because they're being chased after. In Scripture, I feel like God's told us to treat evil like a deer treats a hunter. Run. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, Stay away from every kind of evil. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says this, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. 
Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the name of the Lord with, with pure hearts. We're told in Scripture to run, to, to pursue righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is being right with God. What does that look like? Run after it. It means being faithful. It means being committed. It means being trustworthy. Run after that. We are supposed to, to run after love. We're supposed to pursue that. So instead of anger or fractured relationships, we pursue peace. We run after peace. We run after love. We gather. Did you see that last part of the verse? We gather with those who are spiritually like-minded, enjoying the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. You think about this. When a deer runs from a hunter, it's escaping harm. But what is it doing? It's also running to a place of safety. So as we run from evil, we run to a place of safety. We hang out. Sorry to say this. We, run, we hang out with the right herd. Okay? We, we, I understand people work on Sunday mornings. I understand people travel on Sunday mornings. But if you're not traveling, if you're not working, are you pursuing fellowship with the body of Christ? Are you pursuing that growth with each other? How are you during, doing during the week? Are you running to him in Bible study, into your small group, into a quiet time? Do you pursue God in prayer? Do you pursue a place that provides safety and righteous living? See, when your enemy comes to harm you, are you running from him and pursuing that place with God? Luke chapter 10, hopefully you're there by now. We're going to discover this incredible command that I believe helps us pursue this righteous life. Because as a Christian, it's like I've, I've made that decision in my life. I've surrendered to him, to, him, to God. And it's like I've got this faith now through Jesus Christ. But now what am I running to? In Luke chapter 10, we get this. One day an expert in the law, in religious law, stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Verse 27, the man answers, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, which Moses talks about in Deuteronomy, right? Jesus goes, Right. Do this and you'll live. So he's like, Yeah, I got the answer right. Love God, love my neighbor, right? Okay, Jesus affirms it. But he begins with what? Loving God. Now, I will admit, that was a tough one for me. I've shared with you before, when I was in eighth grade at a camp, sitting in the back of the camp at chapel, the speaker up front was like, you got to love God. And I'm going, I'm an eighth grader. How do you love somebody you can't see, touch, feel? How, how do you put your hands on God and give him a hug? How do you hang out with God when you can't see him? How do you love God? And it was, it was confusing to me as an eighth grader, and I wanted to know. It's like, how do, you, how do you love somebody who created everything? How do you love somebody who knows everything? How do you love somebody who has everything? Hey, God, I'd like to give you, oh, wait, you already own that. Um, God, I'd like to give you, oh, you already own that. How do you love God? Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, You'll keep my commands. So what I discovered was to love God means I obey him. I worship him. That's how I can show my love towards God. And so here's what I know about pursuing this, this righteous life, running after him is, first of all, it is I've got to 
worship God. I've got to love God. I need to obey God. Matthew chapter 22, verses 38, 39, Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said this, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's the same thing we just read in Luke, right? This is the thing, if you know about our church, our mission statement, our mantra is, love God, love others. From this is where we come, come up with that statement. And last week, as, as always, Brian did a great job in preaching and filling the pulpit here. And he took us through Ephesians 2.10, help us remember that verse. As we talked about help us, how to help us understand that God created each and every, every one of us with value. We're masterpieces. We were created to do good things in Christ. Things which he planned long ago. And as we listened to that message, it was like, yes, we are his masterpiece. Yes, we love him. So how can we reflect that love for him? Well, let's love others. So in a period of six days, with about 130 different people involved, we served and gave to others. We had a bunch of masterpieces who were out doing things that were prepared in advance that we didn't even know about that God prepared a long time ago. And you think about that, and it's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Just to recap, at Monday, a group of, of you gathered to bake goodies, not just for shut-ins, but for people who maybe could use a little bit of love and encouragement. They didn't know they were going to be blessed. Tuesday, another group gathered because some of you donated items for college students and packaged up 33 boxes to be shipped out and sent out to college students in this, in this church. And then Wednesday, about 70 youth leaders and students gathered together and went out and distributed, we called them bundles of blessings, and just visited with different people in the church and delivering that love. On Thursday, more of you gathered to help at our food pantry. We've got a team, but more came, and that was great. On Friday, another crew came in here, cleaned chairs, cleaned the church, uh, helped us play Sparkle even more so. And then Friday, we had an army of leaf rakers who went out and raked leaves throughout the community in a couple of houses. Whether uh, you joined us or you were serving somewhere else, um, thank you for using the gift that God gave to you. Uh, you know, maybe it was like you were doing something else we didn't even know about. I appreciate that. Uh, but God knew a long time ago that this moment was going to be taking place for how you would often or how you would serve. Uh, many of you serve throughout the year. You are silently giving or maybe you're helping with as a greeter, uh, children's church, nursery, the list goes on. But serving is, is putting the command of love others into action. So let's go back to the scripture in the book of Luke. So back to Luke chapter 10, verse 29. We read this. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, well, so who's my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. So we got the bad news, right? A horrible situation takes place. We read on. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. So here's the good news. We got two religious men that show up at this situation, but here's the bad news. They ignore him and they walk right on by. Jesus goes on to say this. Then a despised Samaritan, did you see how they threw in the word despised? It wasn't like then a Samaritan. A despised Samaritan comes along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Think about this. Despised Samaritan. In other words, the villain, the evil guy. You know, the person that we avoid at all costs, people we just don't like, I cannot show compassion to that person. That's the guy. 
Okay? We read in verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I'll pay from the next time he's here. See, this is, this is loving others. But the question is, so who are the others? I mean, that's what the guy asked. So who are these others? Who are the neighbors? And in this moment, um, this religious man is, is asking this, this question, hoping that he's going to get this answer that he can live up, with, up to or maybe live with. And I don't want to spoil what a lot of you are going to be reading, but you're going to be reading this in Rooted this week, okay? So sort of hear this again. But we read that the despised Samaritan is the one who helped. He's a man who comes across this other Jewish man who's been beaten. He's been jumped. He's been robbed. He's had things taken from him. He's been left for dead. And it's a dangerous road. And nobody wants to stop on this road. I mean, when you, you just keep moving. You just keep moving, right? And here comes these two religious men. And these two religious men, the one you expect to stop and help, don't stop and help. Now, I don't want to rush to judgment here. Maybe they were late for a meeting. Maybe they thought the bandits were still nearby and they didn't want to get jumped themselves. We don't know. But again, I think we'd all assume that these were the right guys to stop, but they didn't. And then the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, the low life, right? Understand this. This hatred between Jews and Samaritans is huge. This isn't like a college rivalry. This isn't like, oh, Ohio State, oh, Michigan. Okay, this is deep ethnic hatred for one another. And the Samaritan says, I'm going to stop and help the Jew. That caught everybody's attention that was listening. We discover this. He acted without worry for himself. He's like, I'm going to stop knowing that I might get jumped myself. He then gave up his own belongings, olive oil, wine, bandages. He used his own donkey. He also got himself dirty. If I'm going to pick you up, I'm going to take care of you. I'm probably going to get your blood on me and I'm going to get my, my outfit all messed up. He knew that that was going to happen as well. And then when he took him to the inn, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to pay for him to stay here. And I'm going to stay with him and make sure he's okay the first night. And then when I leave the next day, I'm going to, here's more money to cover his expenses while he stays at this inn. And if, if, he, if he stays longer, I'll come back and I'll pay it off. It's like, what kind of guy is this? He's the despised Samaritan. He's not supposed to be acting like this, right? But Jesus says, I've commanded you to love your neighbors, to love others. And, you know, the guy asked, who's my neighbor? Who are we supposed to love? And Jesus tells the story. Look what he says in verse 36. He says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor and the man who was attacked by the bandits? The man replied, <clears throat> um, you know, yeah, there had to be a pause. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan. He goes, uh, you know, the one who showed mercy. Won't mention that he's a Samaritan, right? Jesus said, yes, now go do the same. The one you least expect to love, loved. The despised one who was attacked, who, who acted like the godliest, I should say. The religious ones were not doing what was expected of them. And so we get this wake-up call, like, hey, Christian, you're the one that's supposed to be living out this righteous life. Hey, Christian, you're the one who's supposed to love God and love others. Hey, Christian, are you? Because we expected the religious men to be acting that way, but they did not. It was the despised Samaritan. 
And then we're shown how to love others in this story. Selfishly, I mean, sorry, unselfless, selflessly, I had to get that right. Sacrificially, right? I'm not going to worry about myself and I'm going to give up myself to help. We're shown how to love others. And then we're told, go do the same. Do the same? Yeah. Hey, Christians, let's go love others. Here's the thing. Think about the lifestyle of Jesus in the New Testament. I mean, when you read all these stories of Jesus, have you ever looked at his lifestyle? It is a lifestyle of serving. It is a lifestyle of loving. Jesus didn't, here, he didn't sign up like a sign-up sheet, like, okay, guys, on Monday, if you want to sign up for this, you can. Uh, we've got a bunch of service projects here. Monday, we're going to, uh, we're going to mend the fishnets, okay? Tuesday, uh, let's get together. We're going to wash camels. On Wednesday, we're going to get loaves of bread, take them to the widows. On Thursday, let's all clean the temple. Just go ahead and sign up. Oh, by the way, we've got a mission trip uh, that's going to Egypt. It costs a few hundred denarii. Uh, so you can have your parents all show up. We've got a parents meeting for this mission trip. Okay, he never did that, did he? He just loved others. So why as a church do we put out sign-up sheets and, and invite people to go on mission trips? And because we're sort of modeling for you, equipping you to do this. But here's the thing. You don't have to wait for a sign-up sheet. Every week I say, what? Go be the church. I am basically commissioning you to say, go love God, go love others. You don't have to wait for a sign-up sheet for you to go Oh, I have to wait till Friday to serve. I cannot serve on Thursday because I did not sign up. No, go serve, go serve. Um, without words, we can be a witness for Jesus Christ. Without words, we can show the world that we're Christians. Isn't that what Jesus was all about? In John chapter 13, he just washed his disciples' feet. And then he said this. He goes, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Well, what was the old commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. He says this, you are to love each other just as I've loved you. You should love one another. So he amps it up. He's like, I want you to love God. I want you to love others. But I want you to love others the way I love you. Wow. And then he says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. This proves your faith. You always say, I wonder if they're a Christian. Show me the fruit. Are they living out their faith? Are they serving? Are they loving? So let's review. We're commanded to, to love others. Who are the others? Well, we're to love the Samaritan. In other words, the unlovable. We are to love those outside the church. And here's the other thing. We are also to love those that are in the church. We, we are to roll up our sleeves, get involved in each other's lives, bless others. Here's the thing. In my first few years of youth ministry, there was no pastor appreciation month. So a lot of times the people in the church, they would give the pastors cookies or a card with money in it. And at Christmas time, my freezer was full of cookies. I was this bachelor guy living in an apartment with a freezer of cookies and a couple envelopes with cash in it, which was great. But when people would give stuff to me, I, I was like, no, I don't, I don't need that. Thank you, but no, no thanks. And my parents, not, they, didn't, they didn't scold me. They, they, they reminded me of how to receive blessings. Because I, you know, I was a little embarrassed about what, sometimes what people would offer me. My parents said, listen, when somebody wants to buy you a cup of coffee, when somebody wants to pay for something, when somebody wants to give you a plate of cookies, accept it. To not accept it is to rob them the opportunity of giving a blessing. And I had to think that one through because I, I was like, yeah, I guess if that was me and I'm giving you something and you say, no, thanks. It's like, man, I'm sort of bummed because I was 
looking forward to giving you something, but you didn't receive it. So as a church, not only do we love others outside the church, we love each other in the church. This week, a lot of you got blessed by the church, and you received it. Thank you for receiving our blessing. Because you could hear the voices of these kids. They came back Wednesday night. They were so bubbly. Why? Because they just blessed somebody. And they were blessed in return. That's why, you know, our staff were so appreciative of you guys and what you gave us last week. It was hard for us to, to receive, but you blessed us and we say thank you. So loving others is, can be expressed in different ways. Serving, giving tangible gifts. But here's another way, just being present. Think about this. God can come in very well on his own and fix all of our problems, couldn't he? But he chooses other people sometimes to step in and be his hands and feet. Sometimes he's asking you to step into a dark situation in somebody else's life and help them. You, maybe you don't have to fix their problem. But if you're just there for them, that's what they need. Not too long ago, um, Jenny and I were driving home from Akron. We were on a turnpike. And uh, it was late at night. It's dark. And... Um, out of, all of a sudden someone came up on it. It was, it was a piece of tire from a semi-truck about the length of this um, table up in front of me. And I, I couldn't dodge it. I couldn't go left or right. Because I, it was like, if I would have, probably cut us another accident. But it's like, I just went right over the top of it. And it made the most horrible noise ever. Got cut up underneath, ripped up the undercarriage of our van, pulled over, um, got out, put on the four ways, got underneath, pushed up the, the, the carriage, and, and then... Got back in the car, you know, we're like, okay, heart's beating, right? Drive down the road about eight miles, and it's like it fell back down, pulled over, pushed it up two miles, pulled over, pushed it up. It's like, we can't do this for another 100 miles. And I didn't have the right tools with me in the van to, to, to deal with it, so I called 911, called for a state trooper. Just, I just need somebody to, to help us with the right tool. Uh, it took about 20, 30 minutes till somebody came. I called a second time because, like, after sitting there 15, 20 minutes, cars whizzing by at 80 miles per hour, and you, you feel the van shake, you know, it gets a little scary. And it's like, okay, it's 11, 10 30, 11 o'clock night now, it's getting late. Um, anybody coming? And so I called again, and they said, well, they're responding to another accident that's just two miles in front of you. And it's like, okay, all right. So I was impatient. Hey, Jenny, you got fingernail clippers, anything? I had to go out there and get underneath and start trying to unscrew these screws because I had to tear off that, that piece because uh, I couldn't rip it all the way off because it was attached to some other things. And so the state trooper pulls up right when I get underneath with the, with the fingernail clippers. Um, but he gets out, and he only has a plastic bag with four tools in it, but one is what I needed. And so I'm underneath laying on the ground, it's dark, and trying to find the screws and, and rust it out and just trying to pull this whole piece off. And then I get on the other side where the highway is, cars are just driving by 80 miles. You know, it's like you just, like you just can hear them. It's like scary. And the state trooper, but here's what the state trooper did. He didn't fix it for me. I didn't expect him to fix the situation. He did what I needed him to do. He stood there with his flashlight, his car lights on, looking at me, making sure I'm okay, looking at Jenny, making sure she's okay, looking at the traffic, flashing them over with his flashlight, trying to get them out of the way so they don't get too close to us. He just stood there. Can I tell you, that's what I needed. I, I wanted the tool, but I could have been under there on my, on my own, but the fact that he was standing there made me feel at peace. Sometimes that's what God does in our lives with other people. Sometimes all he's saying is, I don't need you to go bake them cookies. I don't need you to rake their yard. 
what I want you to do is just go over to their house. They're in a dark time right now. And you just need to stand with them. Just stand with them. You may not have the answer, but you represent the one who has all the answers. Just be there for them. In that moment, um, I'm thankful for those who serve and protect. But that's what God does. Now he calls us to serve and protect in the lives of others as well. He also um, empowers this church to love others with demonstrating it, as I said, serving, giving, or just standing there. But have you ever thought about this? What if Jesus would have said, not feeling it today? What if, what if, what if we didn't have the attitude that Jesus had? You know, in pursuing this righteous life, as I said, it begins with loving God, then loving others. It's that lifestyle demonstrated by practical application. But here's the thing. Sometimes we might think, well, somebody else can do it. And you're right. Maybe somebody else can give the finances. Somebody else can rake the leaves. But maybe God's called you to do this thing right here. And in this moment, he's calling you. And we take on the attitude that Christ had in Philippians chapter 2 where he said he humbled himself, he humbled himself enough to the cross. Jesus became a servant and humbled himself so that we could have eternal life. I'm glad that he did not have an attitude of, eh, I'll let somebody else hang on a cross, not me, not today. It's simple, but yet so hard, isn't it? I want to close with this story. Um, it comes from a book called uh, Mercy Beyond Measure. I read it a long time ago, but basically it's about a gentleman by the name of, of Kurt Salierno. Kurt Salierno uh, decided to become homeless so that he could relate to those who are homeless. He's a Christian man. He went to the streets of Portland, lived on the streets with these homeless people for a long time, became one of them. And as he did, he also shared his faith with them. He became friends with a gentleman by the name of Max. And he shared a story in his book about January, the month of January. He's in downtown Portland, and the weather conditions turned very dangerous. It became an ice storm. So as the weather was started off with rain and it's cold, they started looking for shelter. They went to one of the shelter, homeless shelters. He and Max, they got in line. When they got up to the door to get into the shelter, Max grabbed his arm and said, Hey, um... Maybe we should let all these guys go first. Because isn't that what Jesus would do? So it's like, yeah, Max, we'll do that. So they stepped back. All the guys went in front of them, and then they closed the doors because they were full. And it's like, now what? Well, so they went to the next shelter. And they went to the next shelter. And shelter after shelter after shelter, every time they got close to the front, Max would grab his arm and say, shouldn't we let these guys go first? Because isn't that what Jesus would do? Well, they get to this one shelter, and he's up to the front. And once again, Max grabs his arm. we got guys right here, and he goes, he looked inside. He saw everybody in there nice and warm with their blankets, and he looked at them. And now the rain was turning to ice, and it was getting very perilous outside. And he looked at Max and goes, Max, I think Jesus would go inside and witness to all these men. <laughs> Max is like, no, he would let them all go in first. So they went in first, closed the door, and that was the last shelter. So now they resorted to, let's find a cubbyhole somewhere in the street somewhere and find some kind of protection. They went to a garbage place. They found newspaper, spoiled food, started shoving in their pant legs, up in their jackets and their coats to provide insulation. And then with a small group of men, they created a big dog pile of man laying on top of man on top of man to keep each other warm as the ice was now coming down harder on them. He said as he laid in this big pile of this 
stale stench of alcohol and rotting food, he tried to get some sleep. And every now and then they would shift around so some person would get on top so the same person didn't have to be on top all night in the ice. He said he woke up in the morning. As he woke up in the morning, everybody sort of broke off the ice and unpiled and a bunch of grumpy old men. And they heard there was a bar downtown that was handing out free coffee. And it's like, let's go warm up. So he said, Max, let's go. And he went to grab Max. Max, let's get up. And as he grabbed Max to get up to go, he pulled up Max and he let go and Max fell back down. He said, Max, quit fooling around. Come on, let's go down and get some coffee. And Max said, we made it. We survived the storm. He goes, yeah, we sure did. Come on. Grab him again. He went to lift up Max. But as he did, he came back down. He said, Max, what's, what's going on? Quit goofing around. Becoming a little bit impatient with Max. But then he looked at Max's feet and realized Max didn't have his shoes and socks on. He said, Max, where's your shoes and socks? He said, well, I saw a man walking by our pile last night. He had no shoes on. So I gave him my shoes and socks because that's what Jesus would have done. It's like, Max. He went to touch his feet, and he winced right away, knowing he was in severe pain. So he went to go get help. Ambulance came, took him. And for the next few weeks, Kurt wandered the streets of Portland, hoping to find Max again. Finally, a week later, he ran into Max. Max was in a wheelchair. They had amputated off both of his feet. From that night, he got uh, gangrene and was frostbite, and they couldn't do anything about it. And he went up to talk to Max, and Max still had that big smile on his face. Still saying, I would have done this for anybody. Because you know what ended up? He was on top of the pile the whole night. He goes, because I wanted to protect these guys because I think that's what Jesus would have done. I'm not asking any of you to, to be like Max, but oftentimes, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? Loving God and loving others. We are to love others with this new command, to love as Christ loved one another. As we serve, as you go through Rooted this week, I want to encourage you, pray. God, how can I serve somebody else? How can I love somebody else? Might be baking cookies, might be raking leaves, or might be just standing there with them in a dark situation in their life. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Would you stand with me, please? As we pursue this righteous life, and we pursue this desire of loving God, our challenge then is to love others as well. It's a lifestyle it's demonstrated by practical action. So how has God equipped you? Each and every one of you are equipped in a different way. You're not all going to serve the same way. You're all not going to love in the same way. But God has gifted you. I want to encourage you to let God work through you this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are an amazing God, full of love and mercy. And you have sent your son. He humbled himself to die on a cross. He humbled himself to wash the feet of his disciples. He humbled himself to touch those who had leprosy and who were lame and who were sick. He loved others because he is God. And now we're commanded to love you and to love others just as you did. So God, I thank you that you give us your spirit. You give us the ability to do that. Help us to be obedient in how we love others. In thy name we pray. Amen. Amen.